this fancy invite came in and it was like, we've been invited to the White House state dinner with the Queen of England. And so of course I bring it to Barbara Walters and she says, darling, you must go. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. So whatever's important to you, that's where you should put your money. It's a pleasure to be interrogated by you. <laughs> I'm so intimidating. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we'll have TV personality Elizabeth Hasselbeck on how she ended up at a dinner with a queen, some wise words she learned from Barbara Walters, and how to handle failures as a mother. One thing I love are scrappy people, people who work really, really hard to get where they are. I really like the story. I mean, obviously she's done so much in TV and in other places, but I think the story that she she begins with of her life as a walk-on really tells you about a lot about who she is and where she's come from. And that's one of the reasons I really like this story in this interview with her is just that kind of origin story that you could see where she was going to be successful by how she approached things, even if it was just getting into college and trying to be a walk-on. I went to Boston College and my I played basketball through high school and my dad really let me believe that if I worked hard enough that I could be in the WNBA. I mean, I'm 5'4". <laughs> I'm from Providence, Rhode Island. I was shooting hoops in my street and driveway until dark every single night thinking this could happen. Um, I'll call it the best lie that was ever taught to me, but I really do think in my dad's great heart, he wanted me to feel like if I worked hard enough for something, I could get it. Um, it was a huge gift. I went to Boston College and he said, why don't you try out, maybe not for the basketball team, their division one Big East championships, so why don't you try out for the softball team? And I thought, dad, you're crazy. So I went out there and I ran harder than I've ever run in my life. I picked up every ball, I picked up every bat, and I swung and missed it every single ball. And at the end of the week of tryouts at college, when I could have been out doing, I don't know what, like partying or something, I was up at 5 a.m. working out, um, I made the team. And I made it as a walk-on. It was not never that scholarship kid that was being recruited. Um, but what I learned is that that hard work did pay off, that, that, dad, that my dad's advice that he put in my heart um, actually could amount to something. And I got in there and I worked, I mean, I worked so hard. I literally polished all the bats, cleaned the gloves, tried to hit lefty, continued to strike out, eventually made my way to be a starter in left field and then a captain my senior year. And it was a story, it was really a storybook moment for me, um, but I've never taken for granted the fact that I wasn't sought after. I just had to work hard and keep working hard and keep cleaning bats. And I think in any job that I had, I mean, I worked it for Puma. I had never designed shoes before. That was dangerous to hire me. I mean, I was sketching things. I had no idea. All the designers around me had come from the car industry. They knew industrial design. I just wanted to make a pretty shoe. I mean, it was really scary what I was doing, but I worked so hard and I had great mentors and coaches and teachers even then. The View, another story, I wasn't trained in broadcasting. I just had to get in there and learn inside the depths of each building and, and corporation and group that I worked with, I've had to learn like a walk-on and run like a walk-on and work hard like a walk-on. And I've never been um, able to shake that mentality. And I, I really believe that that has gotten me just not only to the point of these opportunities, but through them. And it's okay. I'm, not, I'm never going to be the best person in the room, but I might try to run harder than everybody else. And I might try to stay later and I might try to research more. And that's something that can work for or against you in different ways. I love what that mentality has done for me in the workplace. Now, your your life and sort of all the unexpected twists and turns have brought you to some pretty crazy places. What's the most unexpected place that you've found yourself? 
Well, I have a lot of places. Like, let's just start with Australia. The Australian <laughs> outback was fairly unexpected. I feel like my life is a series of how did I get here? Like, mm-hmm. how did I get here? I mean, I look at my husband. The other day, we unpacked this box of this picture, and it was a picture where we're standing all dressed up next to the Queen of England. <laughs> and we're reminiscing about this night where we got invited to the state dinner. And I'm at The View pretty early on, and I bring this invite. I mean, it was fancy, and I'm not fancy. Mm-hmm. This fancy invite came in, and it was like thick and goldish and fancy writing and it said a state dinner you've been invited to the white house state dinner with the queen of england and so of course i bring it to barbara walters and she says darling you must go i said well, barbara it's on this night i have grace and i think she has a swim lesson and i think it would be hard to make work and get there darling you must so i go i get dressed up we're there and i'm thinking this is like why are we invited here like this why are we here we get in there's a violin small tables i mean this is a group of about maybe 50 people and so we get separated um they don't sit you with your spouses or who you came with we're at different tables and i'm thinking barbara said just do whatever the queen does well i find myself at a table with it's probably maybe 10 people deep maybe eight pretty intimate setting in this room and there are maybe six other tables just like it the table next to me is the queen i mean i could stretch out my arm and touch her table and I'm in clear eye shot of her. Next to me is Jeb Bush. On the other side is Prince Philip, lady in waiting, <laughs> Condoleezza Rice. I am so far in over my head and I am hungry. Did I mention I was pregnant? So I am sitting there, hungry, pregnant, thirsty, sitting with people talking about national security and global issues that I am still just trying to figure out. In my eyesight, I see the queen. So when she grabs her glass, I grab my glass. I hear Barbara Walters in my head, just do whatever the queen does, so I do. <laughs> she puts her glass down, fine. Now, I'm also celiac, so I'm hungry, I'm pregnant, I'm celiac, that means I'm gluten-free, so nothing there seems safe for me to eat. Well, finally, I remember reading some, something about a rose-infused dessert or drink, something that was coming away, and I thought, well, surely there's no gluten in rose-infused whatever it is. The table gets set with the rose-infused whatever it is, and I think, finally, I can have something. I reach down, I go to grab the rose bowl, and I start to sip it, and all of a sudden I feel like hand on me, putting it down, saying, you're not gonna wanna do that. It's Jeb Bush. And I look at him thinking, he said, that's for your hands? <laughs> and I literally get it, put it down, I'm like, I don't belong here, I don't belong here, I should be home with my baby. And I'm just in this situation with the queen, lady in waiting, everybody's dipping their hands, I'm drinking the rose water, and Jeb Bush saves my life. I mean, it was, <laughs> all I could do was just wish for the moment where we could leave and go get a gluten-free pizza. But I do say, it was such an honor to be there, but I didn't belong there. I somehow walked into the White House and walked onto that situation, and I'm not, I'm not guessing at this point that I survived it well, but it gives us a laugh to this day. Now, one of the things you also talk about is, is sort of balancing life and family as a professional woman. Uh, what advice would you give to other professional women as they're kind of going through that? I think one of the most deceiving words for a working woman is balance because it just doesn't exist. You're not balancing anything. Um, I think a couple of things that I've learned along the way are that um, both working men and women, I believe now because we're accessible at all hours of the day um, through social media, through our devices, um, there's no real fine, fine def- sorry, defined line on the workday. Um, that currency right now for I think many working moms and perhaps dads too is time. So it's really defining your time and being able to shut off um, even now with the projects that I'll work on and they're less, so much less than I have in the past. There's always been a time of day, after school till bedtime, 
no phone. Like, I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not looking at my emails. I'm not doing this during homework time. I'm not getting distracted. I don't want to be that parent who's constantly um, with the child begging for me to look up. I don't want to do that. Um, and I think personally, it's been beneficial to draw those lines. But I think really being a good teammate has always been my goal in the workplace. Um, and I think it's just being there and also connecting personally with people at work is important and understanding what their strengths are and being okay to find a mentor. Uh, finding mentors throughout my career has been crucial. Having someone that's willing to take the time to teach you a trade or answer your questions is key. And I think as a working woman, the challenge is just finding that currency of time where you are. Um, I think a lot of the ability to shift your hours or command your schedule comes with a ranking. Mm -hmm. So if you can educate yourself enough, work hard enough and get to a place, that's one avenue to command your schedule and have the time based on your needs. Um, but you can't necessarily always have it all. And I personally could not do all that I was able to do without my husband. I wish I were that woman thinking, maybe, I don't know. I just know that he has been my ultimate support in every area of my career, um, from jumps to failures. He's He's been a real rock for me, and it's allowed me to kind of excel or kind of kick it into neutral when I needed to. So that has been a huge blessing for me. I do think women are exceptional at being wonderfully productive for bursts of time. It's just, we're good at it. We're really good at it. And so I think what I've been able to see in the women that I've worked with is you are, your powerhouse is when you need to be. And I think that we're just made that way and we can kind of work in different areas of the day. And I would hope that the corporate world would reflect the fact that women can get a lot done when the kids go to bed. Let me tell you, my hours from eight to midnight or eight to 11, they're amazing what can be done in those hours because I know that's a time that's quiet. I know that I can get work done. I know that I can write during that time. And so if there's a career where you can accelerate in the hours where your kids are sleeping or be able to um, be there at the time when you feel appropriate and also changes as kids get older. You know, my kids need me after school a lot, you know, and they need me, they need my mind to be okay so that I can look at that math that they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> there are different rules with multiplication now. <laughs> so I think um, it's, it's a matter of evaluating your schedule as a mom based on your kids' needs. And also, I had a working mom growing up my whole life. I called her and I said, Mom, how did you do this? I mean, I am feeling like a failure. I, I had the most epic fail. And she said, Elizabeth, there weren't as many demands as working moms back then. I had two days a year where I maybe had to be in the school. It's a blessing we get to be there, but it's amazing and a miracle I'm even allowed in schools. My daughter, she was three years old, about to go into preschool, had her backpack, I think it was Dora. She had her bow ready for the picture because they have that special first day of school picture. We're in New York City. She was ready to go. We're in Central Park, and I'm thinking, we're ready for tomorrow. I am so ahead of the game. It's my first baby, first day of school. I'm awesome this mom thing. <laughs> We're walking in Central Park. I get a call myself. I pick it up. Hello. Hi, Mrs. Hasselbeck. Um, this is Claremont School. Mrs. So-and-so, I'm wondering if Grace is still planning on attending school this year. I said, she is so excited. Thank you for being so kind and calling. She can't wait for tomorrow. Neither can we. We've got her bow, her backpack. She cannot wait for her first day tomorrow. And she said, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Hasselbeck. The first day of school was today. <laughs> ah, I mean, the scream that went through Central Park should have commanded the entire NYPD to like descend upon this mom freaking out in the middle of the grass. 
I, in a moment, sort of found it possible to blame my husband, then reeled it back to the pathetic mom that I was. I mean, epic mom fail. Not only did I miss her first day of school for preschool, it was her first day ever. It wasn't like first day of third grade. It was first day ever. Mm. Like, this was like the moment that you're not supposed to miss. Total swing and miss. And I, I'm afraid of her never forgiving me for that. But I think I really imprisoned myself in my mind for, I don't know, maybe 10 years about that. Because it was hard. It's how do you do that? You line up everything and you're going to have these moments of failure. And I think particularly for a working mom, you have a lot of those. But I've noticed since stepping out in this area of quiet, you still have them. I was talking to a friend the other day who was thinking about kind of taking it into a, a more, I should say, a less demanding schedule career-wise. And I said to her, I just want to be honest with you. You don't fail less when you aren't working anymore or in a different um, pace level than you were. You're still going to totally fail at things, unless it's just me, because I've completely forgot the candy project this week. You know, just like the first day of school, that doesn't that doesn't change. You're still not you're not going to all of a sudden be a perfect mom because you're not going into the office. You're still going to. I just want you to know before you make this decision, you're still going to fail at a lot. And she was shocked, <laughs> but I think I thought too. Like once I you know once I calm things down, like I'm going to be perfect at this whole mom thing now. And there are plenty of moments and opportunities to fail throughout the day, and I seem to find a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the things, one of the people you mentioned uh, a minute or so ago was your mom. Mm -hmm. And I know that one of the things you like to speak on, just because yeah. it's so important to you and your family, is you know breast cancer and breast mm -hmm. cancer survivors. What, what do you speak on when you talk to audiences about that? You know, I, I really have um, such respect for my mom. She went through breast cancer at an early age. She was in her young 40s. It was my 18th birthday when she was diagnosed. I remember, I can remember being on the softball field um, in high school and I was playing shortstop. My dad was never late to any of my games and he worked hard, he was an architect and found a way somehow to make it to every single one of my games. And I looked up on the hill and I didn't see him and I thought, well, that's weird, he's usually here. It's not cold, he's not in his car. I remember a ball being hit, getting the ball. I can't remember if I made the play or not, but I can just remember that clay and the smell of it and the dirt and then seeing him pull up late on the hill and going up and I knew something was wrong. And it was the day my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she went through her treatment and her time in a really quiet way. You know, there weren't pink hats at this time. There weren't walks. And she was such a faithful woman and battled this cancer with such bravery um, that I think back to that time and it really made me strong because I always had something, I had this point in my life to refer to, like if she can do that, then I can do this. You know, if I can, if, if I can see her walk through that, then I can know that at some point when something comes my way, I can walk through that too. I saw her really lean into her faith. I saw her, I mean, when her head was shaven and her eyes looked at me, I saw at the same time this these little eyes, you know, these like almost a, like a baby, but the strength of a lion. I thought this woman is so strong. And her mom was diagnosed with breast cancer young. Her mom's mom, the same. My dad's mom. I mean, it's all over my family. And so for me, knowing what these women have battled and knowing the support that there is right now and the early detection, um, at the same time, I both feel as though it's coming my way at some point. I pray not, but genetics alone would probably say I'm wrong. Um, I, I make it a priority to just keep on early detection, 
um, maintain great relationships with these incredible physicians who do great work. Um, and just talk about it, because I think the more we talk about it, the more people will go. I mean, grab a buddy. I believe in really um, having an accountability friend to say, let's go get our mammograms together. Let's go get checked together. Let's make sure we get ahead of this. And that's my goal. Get ahead of it and understand the community around it is so great. I mean, I can remember the first race and walk that I did with my mom. I have the picture. I keep it at an arm's reach at all times. Um, it was the first time that she celebrated all that she went through. Mm-hmm. And it was this was years after her experience and um, the great news is we have incredible progress in medicine Um, we have a really powerful um, strong-hearted group of women who further that through how vocal they are and um, you know I pray that God would walk me through that time should it come with as much grace and strength as my mom had and it's not an end you know we see so many women living through this and getting through this and even coming out stronger on the other side and so that's my that's my prayer my hope for um, all those who would be affected and their families. I think when you see, I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, but I definitely believe that my mom's walk through breast cancer gave me a grit and a determination and a point of dedication in doing things. You know, I went to Australia for Survivor and I remember wearing on this little headdress I built this pink scarf. It was a pink bandana and I wore it for my mom. And when things got tough, I needed that visual to say, Look what she was able to do. This isn't that hard by comparison, you know, or just dedicated to her strength. It gave me a point of reference for the rest of my life that I'm so thankful for. You know, I wish I could take that time away from her, but I know that in that period of life, God also birthed in me a grit and a determination that I don't know if I would have had it or found it as early. Just being around you, you have amazing stories on so many different areas. So what's one good story uh, from the viewer? There's some stories behind those walls. I'm always able to pick them up when I'm talking about something. I think, you know what, that reminds me of a time when oh, Barbara, uh, Barbara has given me some of the best advice. And you know what I learned from her more than anything is to be prepared to be unprepared. Always. I remember that one story, this is kind of wild, President Obama was actually coming in to be interviewed and our whole office went into, I mean, you would have thought like it was the, they were going to like determine the rest of what was happening in the world there. It's like it became the White House. So we have Secret Service all around and dogs and um, I was pretty nervous because I was coming in as the one voice on the other side that would maybe in my mind, ask some more pointed questions. Um, But I also wanted to get some human questions in there too. And the office was so surrounded by Secret Service. And they said, listen, we have four hours between the first show, which was live, and the second one, which the president's gonna come. Um, And I thought, what am I gonna do here? I've been working on these questions. Producer comes in, I'd like your questions. I said, I'm not gonna incriminate anybody with what I'm gonna ask the president. I'm going to, uh, I'm gonna ask him what I'm going to ask him. <laughs> You're not going to see it. It's all on my notes. So I had this feeling that I should take my notes with me just in case. So I thought, what better way to spend the afternoon and get my nerves out than run Central Park? So I get my notes written in a Sharpie on my blue cards as always, extra Sharpie, and I stick them in a Ziploc bag and I put them in my fleece and I hit Central Park and I run the six mile loop thinking, I have time to get back and get in our locker room and shower and get presentable for the President of the United States. We get back there, two hours pass, we're in a holding room. I'm sweaty, I'm like salty at this point. I mean, it is not good, okay? I have, this is like an opportunity of a lifetime to ask your president a question. Politics aside, it's a huge honor 
this is amazing. I had two great questions, one about the economy and one about how he um, governs his daughter's social media, just because he, here's the president, basically like the dad of our country. How do you, how do you parent your girls when it comes to social media and Instagram and all of that? I don't even know if Instagram was up, but I was curious. <laughs> so I had all these questions written out and I was ready. I had five minutes to get ready for this presidential interview. I mean, I have never changed so quickly in my life. I went unshowered. I, I, I was, it took everything in me just not to confess in front of the president. Like, do you know what I was just running? I am so sorry that I am just inappropriately not brushed right now. But it is, it's one of those things that I was so thankful because I never made it back into my office. They continued to have dogs sniffing around the premise. And I, if I had not taken my notes with me, then I would have been scrambling just to try to find my research and who knows, they turned everything upside down. But I was prepared to be unprepared and I think it's a running theme um, in my life as well that you, you can prepare and I prepare. I mean, I research. I don't want to let my team down and I walk on. <laughs> but to be prepared for that moment where something changes, I think is a difference maker when it comes to office relationships, to office work ethic, to something going wrong, to a sale falling through to a client not being there, to a, getting fired, you know, to all of these things that happen in your life and personally and in your career, you need to be as prepared to be unprepared as you are prepared. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D. & Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Yount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.